Your support makes it possible. Please make a donation today at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Since the pandemic, we've been made grossly aware of the inaccurate and the immoral... Wait, hold on. That's the wrong damn one. How's it going, everybody? I'm John Reed. You know what you're listening to, and I can't, I can't let it happen like that. It, it can't go down like that. Charlie's Angels don't get down like that. Here we go. Talk to you in a second. Here's the mashup 102. Okay, bye. The good news is that as more and more Americans come to understand, what this is all about is a simple proposition. Who do you love? Alonzo is in. It's 7-4, to four, and the Mets will get the tying run to bat in the ninth. Who do you love? Now behind on Davis, 2-0. and out. Who do you love? And J.D. rips one down the line. That's an extra base hit. McNeil will score. Canada third. He'll be held up there. It's an RBI double for J.D. Davis. Let's go out and feel everything. It's 7-5. to five. And the tying runs are in scoring position. Never say die.
a black suit. After you get a black suit, there's five suits you need to get. Black, navy, gray, brown, tan. I'm a big guy, I'm a big strong guy, and I totally get it. Get those five suits, you get yourself two white shirts, get yourself two cream color shirts, and two powder blue shirts. And for me, like I'm a big strong guy, they don't, they don't know like my temper, they don't know what I could do. You can make 75 suits with those combinations, because every last one of those pants go with every last one of those jackets. Every last one of the jackets goes with every last one of the pants. You cannot mess up. If I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could. The beige pants will go with the gray jacket. The gray jacket goes with the brown pants. The black pants go with everything. Get you three basic color shirts, blue, cream, and white, and then just get yourself some Steve Harvey ties. I was just out there trying to protect my guys. And start living your best life. That's what you do. At the hotel, Strong guy. Out in the street, they call it From the Winslow T. Broadcast booth in foggy Bushwick, Brooklyn, I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. And this is Race to the Bottom, baby. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. My opening monologue, as always, is brought to you by Winslow Tea. Because that's how you know it's Winslow. I'm drinking it right now. Hmm. Ah, that is... That's walloping. Just... That makes my tongue slap up against the back of my brain. With taste unbelievable, unparalleled. What is that? That's a that's my old old boss at Pizza Cabin, Bob Black. I'm channeling Bob Black today. Sorry about the snafu at the beginning of the show. I play I started playing Mashup 101. The same time. This is the same the 101 show. This is the 102. We've graduated. Why is it like Anthropology 101 and not 1? They want to sound so fancy. 
Research team, can you look up why they call it 101 for the first class intro and not just one? I would appreciate that. Wow. There was rap. My mom said I like the mashup. Mellow, no rap. There was rap. You must have tuned in late. There was some uh, fat boys. Well, we'll get to the mashup in a second. Okay. Um, but the, thank you to to Winslow T. The, let's let's. I know which which side of uh, my bread is buttered. On which side my bread is buttered? And it's a trick question. I've said this before. It's both sides because it's a grilled cheese. But uh, yeah, please uh, hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know and steep right into the conversation. Hit me up on the, on the socials and uh, the Discord chat. Send me a text. Let's get this party started. And um, I, but I do have to warn you: terms and conditions do not apply, baby. Not with Winslow. There's no terms and conditions. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, Israel killing uh, journalists and then viciously beating the, the people who show up to her funeral to carry her casket and then doctoring a video to pretend like they didn't do it? No, we'll, we'll do that next week. Are we going to talk about uh, how uh, the crypto bros are, are uh, going to turn to fascism once uh, cryptocurrency crashes and they don't get the secret money wealth that they all think they deserve because they're bros? We'll do that the week after. Are we going to talk about the Kendrick Lamar record? Not yet. I'm still digesting. And I know everybody wants to hear what is... A f- uh, how old am I? 42? Everybody wants to know what a 42-year-old white dude has to say about the Kendrick Lamar record, and and I I take my responsibility really seriously, so I'm going to listen to it a little bit more. I do have to say I I really uh, like the piano. Um, uh, Speaking of piano, this is... um, Man, what a tough thing to pronounce. Sige Mariam... Gubro off the Ethiopiques collection. Mother's Love. The first recorded use of an introductory class beginning as designated uh, 101 was at University of Buffalo, of course. Course catalog dated 1929. It wasn't until the early 30s that universities in the United States started using a three-digit system to identify their courses. The method wasn't quite uniform, but it was more logical than the non-system of naming courses that had previously been in place. Oh my god, you can't... And now my... Can you parse this next text you just sent me, research team? Just sent me like a seven-paragraph essay.
So the the piano on the Kendrick Lamar record is is pretty stunning. The production, always as always, the the rhymes. I thought I wasn't going to talk about the Kendrick Lamar record. It is kind of troubling that he has this Kodak Black guy on there who was um, convicted of sexual assault and also was a big uh, Trump supporter because Trump got him off. Remember, that was a fun uh, part of the uh, election of 2020 when um, Omelette Bar started uh, cynically pardoning these um, rappers to get them to support his bid. And man, it worked. Lil Wayne... All these dudes. No, but we're not going to talk about any of that stuff. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, no, I was... It's just... It's just what was playing in the headphones while I was waiting. It's no big deal. I just get nervous. I'm a creature of habit. Um, No, we're going to talk about what's in the mashup. We heard from um, old old Joe. It's a simple proposition. Who do you love? And that's back from back when, uh, man, he looks uh, looks and talks different back then. That was when Joe Biden uh, did one of Joe's classic gaffes, maybe his best gaffe, when he just came out in support of uh, gay marriage um, before. <laughs> Before Obama or anybody else did. Kind of missed that Biden. Wish he would speak that clearly about uh, Roe versus Wade, right? We heard from the fat boys, the twist. There's this guy, Jay Clarkson. He's the known as the freaking deacon. And uh, I don't know why, but man, Jay Clarkson has been really bugging me about putting some fat boys in the, in the mashup. And there you go. Finally. Deacon. Deacon Deacon Blues is what he what he had before uh, the fat boys were in there. Come on baby. Let's do the twist. Why is Chubby Checker sing like that? Man, they really brought out the Casio keyboard on that on that um, version of the twist and the classic lines. Oh, you should see Prince Marky D. Check out that cool rock. He's rocking like me. Here comes the beatbox. <laughs> Here comes the beatbox. Come on, do it, Buffy. Who's Buffy? And we heard from the, uh, the the Mets broadcast booth. I had to put this in. This I talked about it last week. The Mets came back. Seven runs down in the ninth inning. I talked last week. I was, uh, I was learning learning about Gregor McGregor, and looked at my phone, and we heard the the magical work of Gary Cohen, Mets announcer. 
It's got that deep booming voice, but he gets as he gets excited, it goes up, goes up about an octave. Such a good announcer. Wish uh, Gary Cohen was there to announce my uh, my baseball games this week. As as um, loyal listeners know, I've I am a um, a middle school baseball coach for a uh, troubled team. We had two games this week. We we played the United Nations School, and we uh, we held the lead for a couple innings, and then we uh, we imploded. We we don't have any Phil Risottos on our on our team. No Phil Risottos. Have this. I I was on um, run that back. The the wonderful uh, indie sports radio podcast and radio show hosted by Scott Bond and Tom Chalmers. I was on this week, and you can listen to that. Uh, go go to run that back on Asheville FM. Go to the archives, and and I I talked to to Scott about my my baseball uh, coaching experiences and also on the Mets about the Mets and and I I when we played uh, the we played the United Nations baseball team not the the, the the school's baseball team and we played at Central Park so it was a dream come true for for little old Johnny and I think that we were on the same field from Curb Your Enthusiasm when 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 Larry is playing softball and and um, Rosie O'Donnell's on the on the other team. I think it was that same field. I took a picture, but you can't really um, see that it's Central Park in the picture. It's hard to a baseball field just kind of looks like a baseball field. I probably would have had to gone more panoramic or something. But I was on the third. I was coaching. I was the third base coach. I couldn't get that kind of perspective. This is a group human race listener Salim hipped me out to human race but uh yeah we we lost that game and then we played thursday lost that game that one was on randall's island but this kid uh i've i've this kid he's a kind of a nervous kid and but he's he's really trying and um i think he walked he got walked and he was on third base and as i said i was the third base coach and there was a um, a pop up, and we've gone over this, but the kid uh, uh, he just ran home before I could tell him not to. The ball was still in the air. Then the ball was caught. They threw it back to third base, and the kid was out. And this kid, who I call Henry, even though it's not his name, I did it on accident. One time, and uh, he said, "That's not my name." And so I just went with it, like I did it on purpose. 
So Henry, uh, Henry got out, and if Henry asked me one time, he asked me 25 times, Why am I out, Mr. Reed? I don't understand. I got home. It shouldn't matter. I don't understand that rule. I kept explaining it to him. Tried so many different ways. Finally, we were walking through Central Park back to the bus. I felt like I was in a um, J.D. Salinger short story. The Laughing Man. And, again, I just don't get it. I said, all right, Henry, if, uh, if you could run as far as you could and, and as long as you got to the base before the people caught it, then all people would do was try to hit pop-ups as high up in the air as possible so you could run all the way around the bases, even though they're about to catch the ball. I said, Henry, it's not called sky ball, it's called baseball. And that, that convinced him. Speaking of J.D. Salinger, where I'm reading uh, Catcher in the Rye with my ninth graders. And uh, if I had it to do over again, I would have gotten my, my uh, players to write poems on their gloves, like Allie. Holden's little brother so they could read poems while they were waiting for the ball to come to them so they could run away when it <laughs> the balls hit to them kids are afraid of the ball man but I talked about um, Scott Bunn Scott Bunn's gonna be on the show Next week, we got Dr. Lisa coming in in studio. Following week, Tom Demena's coming on. We'll talk. Uh, he's he wanted to. I mentioned that I wanted to do a show on the jerk. We're going to try to do that, among other things. Then we're doing our Crime Talk BK crossover episode. Joanna and maybe Megan are going to be here, and then I'm going to be on Crime Talk BK. Then hopefully we got Ben Feinberg coming in to talk about the Mexican Revolution. Then it's Scott, Mike, and Matt. We're gonna we're gonna really uh, do a meeting of the minds. And then I said that uh, Shane was gonna be on today. Shane Parrish talking about his album, his amazing album, Liverpool. He had to reschedule. Lots of rescheduling these days, but that's fine because if you if you've uh, checked your scorebook. Colette, our resident historian, had to reschedule last week. So she's coming in just in just a few minutes. So how's that how's that sound? We heard from Pete Alonzo talking about how he's a big strong guy. We heard Steve Harvey talking about how you can make 75 uh, different suits. If you get the right combination, I might play that again. That's some wisdom. We heard At the Hotel by Eunice Collins complaining that uh, her she wishes her she had a 60-minute man because she wants Morley Safer in the at the hotel. We heard Right Down the Line by uh, 
Jerry Rafferty. Shout out to uh, Tom and Lauren who had that on their Instagram stories, and in that and that makes a mashup that uh, that a mashup makes. And um, before we uh, talk to Colette, I have something uh, I need to do here, and uh, it goes a little something like like. This. I'm going to teach you how to say excuse me in French. That means I am sorry. Excusez-moi. Excuse-moi. Pardon. Pardonnez-moi. Je suis désolé. It's time for uh, excusez-moi. I haven't done one of these in a while, but I was I listened back uh, to the monologue last week for some quality control and I gotta say it wasn't a good look. Um, I said I spoke in a way that that I, I it, it didn't sit well with me. I, I was I was got got into a braggadocious tone. Um, it was a little tongue in cheek, but I was making fun of uh, other broadcasters and and. Um, you know, patting myself on the back in, in a way that, that I, I didn't like. And um, I, I want to beg your apology for that. That's not the kind of uh, atmosphere that I want on the show. It makes me think of, of uh, something. I was listening to the, uh, the Beatles. You, you know the Beatles? For some reason, I had this song yesterday stuck in my head. And it, um, I was listening to the Beatles on the way to school and I was just thinking so often in, in, um, in life, we've got these, um, in, in entertainment and in culture, fame and acclaim often poisons an artist or a band they get big and 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 they kind of lose their way. We've talked about this, but I just it's pretty amazing that the Beatles were the biggest thing in the world and then they just kept making good. They get it got better. Year after year, album after album. I don't know how they did it, but I th- it's an interesting topic like how did the Beatles find the humility and the wherewithal to not uh, get all get it all twisted in their brains, you know, you know. It's like I don't know. It's it's something that that I I I, uh, I think about, and I don't want to. Um, I don't want to look uh any kind of success that this show has uh you know as 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 we grow and skyrocket <laughs> into uh you know we've got tens of listeners um and and I I want to I want to find that Beatles style humility. Does that make any sense? Um All right. Let's let's see if this Zoom is working. 
uh, listener. Uh, no, you're not a listener. Well, you were listening just then, but uh, is my guest on the Zoom? Yes, I am. Oh, my goodness. I see you. Here, let me start my camera. Um, so we got, hey, we, we've got uh, we've got Colette, our resident historian, on the Zoom um, from uh, the Upper West Side. South Harlem. South Harlem. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we decided to, to do the Zoom instead of a phone call because last time uh, Colette called in, it was hard to figure out who was talking when. The, and, and now we can gesticulate. Exactly, which is important. Yes. Um, so how, how's it going? How's it going, Colette? It's going okay. It's going okay. Very glad it's the weekend. School mm-hmm. year is winding down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Colette and I teach at, at the, the same school, which shall remain uh, nameless for, to protect the innocent. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and uh, I wanted to uh, – I, I talked on this topic a little bit, and I had this uh, all these thoughts kind of left over. And uh, and I have to be honest, part of me just wants to talk about anything but this. But I, I feel like it's it's important to uh, to do so. And I thought, who who better than a, a fellow teacher and our our resident historian uh, Colette, <laughs> Colette to to help us out uh, talk about this situation with this uh, moral panic over over grooming and. Uh, uh, this kind of retrograde counter-revolution um, that's going on around um, gender ideology, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I forced Colette to to listen to some uh, to some things about this, and you you uh, man, you were living in a in a, a much better world because you hadn't heard about a lot of this stuff before I alerted it to you right I hadn't I hadn't heard the I hadn't heard the term grooming used I hadn't heard that Mm -hmm. uh, the rhetoric around that but I was aware of a lot of these conversations that were going on so um part of this is is uh the conversation that we're gonna have is is based on um a f- episode of Fresh Air and the reporting that can you rem- you remember what uh, the the um, Times reporter's name is? I know it, and I'm I'm blocking it right now. Oh, I'm not. I didn't write it down. No, but she's an education reporter, and she's been reporting on education for years. Um. So what what you uh, what are your first impressions from from this thing? I force you to listen to. And this thing, no, I mean, it's just the the thing that sort of struck me the most. It's ha- this idea of having these, I, I apply it to the classroom because that's where I am. Yeah. Um, and it's this uh, pushback against having, quote unquote, uncomfortable conversations in the mm-hmm. classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a history teacher um, who teaches about history and geopolitics, that's a massive part of my job. Um, 
And I think it's created a very um, unsettling situation for a lot of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and even going in, I think at the beginning of the podcast, they also went into the like the don't say gay bill and the stop woke act. Mm-hmm. Um, Such a cool name. Stop woke. act. Woke. Yeah. Uh, um, Dana Goldstein is the Dana is Goldstein. The that was it. Yes. Yes. Dana Goldstein. She's great. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk through through this one thing that yeah it, they are um, these antagonists to these uncomfortable conversations. Uh, it's I think it's ironic because do you remember the these um, signs or the, or this this thing that came from the right during Trump where they would say "f your feelings." Did you ever yeah. see those like Trump? 2020 f your feelings right which is and and it's like the whole like discourse around snowflakes like liberal snowflakes and stuff it's so funny that these same people are now like you know i don't want my son to feel any guilt you're making him feel guilt and i don't want him to feel that way it's like who is the uh who's the sensitive one here right yeah i mean and the thing is is that these conversations they're i mean discussions about race and gender and i mean all of this there's you know like white privilege police violence mass incarceration ableism anti-lgbtq persecution religious persecution i mean those are all their difficult conversations to have and it doesn't matter like who you are. Like if you're a teacher, it doesn't matter how long you've been teaching. They're tricky. Mm-hmm. You need to practice. They're not always done well. Yeah. I think it's better for people to have those conversations in a supportive educational environment. Like that's a good place to be having them. And it, um, it worries me that it's, it's also sort of like the objective nature of a lot of these like bills that are coming out where it's sort of um i'm thinking like the don't say gay bill i mean talking about them saying like who cares what your feelings are that one the don't say gay bill in florida it really allows a parent if they objectively feel subjectively feel sorry excuse me so i said i said objective but subjective if they subjectively feel that what's being taught is not appropriate Mm -hmm. um they can sue the school district and it's not um there's not really like clear language in there that says it's it is based on their feelings and what one parent feels is different than what another mm-hmm. parent feels they i think it's important to mention they can't directly sue the teachers but that puts the teachers under a lot of pressure yeah it's a um, chill, chilling effect yeah and it's I, yeah i mean i've had i've faced pushback before from lesson mm-hmm. material and classes and it's it's really um it's tough because i think it's it's making an assumption about um it's also making assumption about teachers and their abilities in the classroom but i mean it's i think some teachers feel uncomfortable talking about these things they feel maybe like ill prepared but then you do your prep like do your research you can do that there's ways to try to make the kids feel more comfortable. You don't, we still don't want to have bullying in the classroom, right? You need to find ways 
we're trained in sort of like the cognitive and social emotional development of our kids at different age groups. We know we have a, an idea of how they process information at different ages, and we can take that into account in our teaching. Well, um, detractors would say um, that, look, I don't want you, you shouldn't be talking about um, sexuality in the classroom. It just shouldn't be a discussion, right? It's why, why yeah. should that even enter into the, or I don't want uh, a, some teacher with some ideology that they, they are bringing into the classroom talking to my kid about race, right? Yeah. And so what I would say, I mean, like for the sexuality one, you could definitely, we're not teaching your kids about, at least the history class, we're not teaching your kids about sex. Mm -hmm. um, and any, which any discussion, if you have, so I'm thinking about like, for my sixth graders last mm -hmm. year, we did a whole unit on ancient Greece. And there is a section in there about um, men in Athens and women in Athens. And there's a section about men in Sparta and women in Sparta. That is teaching about gender. There are, there were people of other, like who identified as other genders that lived in ancient Athens. Mm -hmm. And a lot not, of homosexuality too. And a lot of homosexuality. And that's not included in the book. And the very exclusion of that is pushing a certain ideology. Mm -hmm. If you are in preschool or kindergarten level, any books that they have in the classroom or that they read where there is a heterosexual couple in the book is that's teaching about gender, gender roles, gender ideologies. That's all in there. Mm -hmm. If the book has like the mom in the kitchen cleaning and the dad is going to work every day, those are gender roles that are being taught in the classroom. This is being taught from a very young age in classrooms all over the country. You are excluding other gender roles and other perspectives by doing that. Mm -hmm. If, um, if I... Younger yeah. Oh, sorry, if I mention to my class that uh, if they say, Mr. Reed, what did you uh, do this past weekend? And if I say I went with my wife to go see uh, Troilus and Cressida at Juilliard, um, the, the mere mention of my wife um, and my comfortability talking about the fact that I am a heterosexual cis man married to a woman is pushing a gender ideology, right? If exactly. I were uh, married to a man, right, or if I didn't uh, buy into the binaries, I that uh, and I expressed that that would in these people's mind that would really be pushing a gender ideology. But even me wearing a wedding ring in the classroom is pushing a, a, an ideology, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the sort of that's the thing that's really frustrating about this and feels, um, yeah, it, it's a little bit scary. They, they've said that um, with, so for example, with the, the don't say gay bill, um, they've said that like kids could potentially, if you had, if a kid had two moms or two dads or whatever, they could talk about that in the classroom. Um, but the thing is, is that kids have questions. Mm -hmm. So if this is something that you're not talking about in any other context and a kid mentions their two moms and another kid says, I didn't know somebody could have two moms. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, you're there to kind of help facilitate these conversations. It puts teachers in a very uncomfortable position and it doesn't really allow us to do our jobs. If we're shutting down that conversation completely and saying we're not talking about that here 
you are having an emotional impact on the kid with the two moms by somehow telling them that that's something that they cannot talk about, like a don't ask, don't tell sort mm -hmm. of a thing. And if you are then having an open conversation about the fact that, yeah, people have can have parents of the same gender, of different genders, then you're having those conversations about gender and sexuality that everyone's so uncomfortable with. And you're not protecting the comfort of all of your students. And so this is it's a yeah. It's a frustrating one and a weird one. So part of part of my thinking about this that I've talked about on the show before is that, you know, 2020 was such an intense year for so many different reasons. You had everything going on with the election. You had everything going on with COVID. And you had everything going on with uh, the post-George Floyd protests and um, and grappling that all, that much of the country did with how can this still be happening, um, which led to a conversation about systemic racism, right? Which led to protests, which all these things were um, t together and the, they're inextricable from each other, right? So you and then you had kids online in in the home on Zoom, parents working from home hearing what's going on in the classroom, um, wanting uh, parents wanting a voice or, or hearing what's going on like never before and inserting themselves in, into the classroom, making snap judgments about things that they hear as they're walking by the, the kid's room, right? Yeah. And, and then also you just have this massive backlash to, uh, you know, you had white kids out in the street protesting systemic racism, all over the country and and screaming black lives matter and then now you have this enormous enormous backlash right so mm -hmm. um a lot of what um and a lot of this backlash took the form of this idea of critical race theory and and dana goldstein talks about this nutcase uh christopher rufo who who basically yeah. The receipts are on Twitter. He was like, we are going to push this critical race theory as hard as possible. Um, he went on Fox News like 70 times. Um, and and as we know, uh, these these memes, these ideas, these thoughts go through the Republican Party and Fox News like wildfire. Right. Yeah. So they <clears throat> they say uh, critical race theory. And basically they try that. The idea is to separate the past from the present, right? You can talk. We're not saying you can't talk about slavery and, and segregation and these things, but you can't bring it to the present day, right? We're, we're, is, yeah. <laughs> we're a better society. We've, we've changed. Um, I don't want my kid taught about white privilege, right? But the idea that you can't make any through line, which they basically they named the, the creation of any through line from slavery, segregation to the present day, they, they, basically that creating a through line is critical race theory as they've defined yeah. it. Yeah, Rufo's deal was he sort of, he distorted, I think he actually used the word rebranding at one point, but he was, he took it from, he distorted the definition from what it is, which is an advanced academic discipline. And he turned it into basically like any form of education, professional training, teaching in classrooms, mm -hmm. anything related to race, polities of diversity, equity and inclusion. He went into like training programs yep. for adults and private businesses. And he called that critical race theory. Yeah. So now it's it's basically changed the meaning of the term to anything related yeah. to race. But yeah, that idea, I mean, 
my training as a history teacher, I mean, I got my teaching credential in the state of California and I did my master's in the UK for history education. The, all your history teacher training all over the world talks about the importance of drawing connections to the present. Because you show, I mean, we're looking for patterns in history, things mm-hmm. that occur again and again and again, that whole like, that like history repeats itself. Um, and also showing, yeah, just showing the connections, like this is how things were and then they changed and then they changed and then they changed and mm-hmm. here's how it impacts your life today. This is why you care about this. Talking about the George Floyd protests and people saying, wait, how is this still going on? Mm-hmm. And having a significant percentage of the population that was unaware that this level of discrimination still very, very much exists today. Part of that comes from not making the connections from the past to the present. And it's, it's really fascinating. I think um, Dana Goldstein, she also brought up even like discrimination against women. You can talk mm-hmm. about it, but you can't tie it to the present day. <laughs> which is just Like it, it sort of, it blows my mind to a certain extent and it just, um, it's just, it's still very much present. And even when you're teaching about slavery and segregation, you may have students in your class whose ancestors were slaves or whose ancestors were slaveholders, and they may be very well aware of that. So, but there is somehow this comfort with discussing that, but not mm-hmm. with discussing the present, which is, um, that's, I mean, it's a great way to perpetuate a lot of this stuff if people think that it's all gone now and it doesn't matter. And it's a lot of people live with very, I mean, people live with very real daily experiences of continued racism, of continued sexism, of continued attitudes of ableism, discrimination mm-hmm. for all different ways. And to basically say that your experiences are not worth discussing in the classroom and they are not actually based on our past in some way, or we're just not going to make that connection. Um, isn't I, it's not, it doesn't create a supportive educational environment and it's not, um, educating children about the reality of the world in which we live in today. So, um, so, uh, one, one way where like, how could you not see a through line that I could, uh, one example is I before I came to the school um, at which we both teach now, I taught in the Bronx, and there was not one white student in my entire school. Mm-hmm. Zero, right? And I am a, a white man with blue eyes, and my kids would be like, why are your eyes like that, right? And if if they asked me, which they did, you know, why why are uh, there no white students at this school, right? And now I'm at at um, the school where we are now, and we're you know a, a lot of us are like falling over backwards trying to bring more students of color in into the classroom. The segregation of the schools is worse now than it was you know, in the, the 70s, right? Is is it critical race theory for for us to try to extrapolate and try to figure out why our schools are segregated, right? Is there a through line of history there? Uh, well, if under we talk about definition. <laughs> if we yeah. talk about redlining, right? If If we talk about incarceration rates, 
Um, yeah. So, and now, yeah. and you you talked about so they they did critical race theory. Now they're moving on to grooming, which I think we're going to see a ton of during the this um, these midterms. And uh, this Rufo guy has already broadcast his next move is he's talking about socio-emotional learning. And, and you see on, on Twitter, uh, in these circles, these, these people, um, you know. And, and another thing that they do, um, and I want to hear what you have to think about this, like, mm. I think a, lo- a lot of um, bad faith people, or even people who are, like, trying to, uh, you know, call it like they see it, they'll bring up these, um, these anecdotes, Right of of some crazy thing that somebody that one teacher taught in one classroom and be like, see, this is this is where the you know this slippery slope thing of this is where we're going, right? In in some classroom in in Philadelphia, this teacher did blah blah blah. See, right? And and then they're like, you know what I'm saying? That, that yeah, no, I mean, listen, it's it's not always done. Well, it's not. I mean, that's inevitable. We did we did the the when I was growing up in my eighth grade class, we did the eye color activity. I don't know if you ever did that where they were trying to teach us about discrimination and they separated the class. And if you had brown eyes, which I do, then you were treated terribly. And if you had blue eyes, you were treated well, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, that like I mean, it really is kind of messed up. Um, At the end of the day, I grew up in San Diego where uh, like a huge majority of the kids at our school um we're hispanic because we're right next to the border with mexico and it really kind of there was a yeah definite racial divide in that classroom which was very uncomfortable that was not a well done lesson mm-hmm. but there are incredible ways of doing this lesson and there's an amazing uh, these lessons and there's an amazing group called teaching for tolerance that mm-hmm. was created in 1991 and they work on reducing prejudice and i think it's like they work on equitable school experiences um and it's um, it was sort of founded around teaching race and racism, but it can be applied to a whole other range of that. And that goes into these ideas about social emotional learning, because these conversations can bring up like pain and confusion, shame, guilt. There's an urge, especially at different age levels for kids to want to blame others. So a large part of it requires teaching kids about certain social emotional skills and it requires negotiation and conflict resolution skills you want to be able to have open conversations you want to be able to actively listen to other people it i mean training the teachers and how to comfortably like shut down those bullying conversations some of these conversations will be uncomfortable i mean again like as a history teacher teaching about geopolitics in a school where you have kids who often these are very the conflicts could be ongoing and you have kids from both sides i mean even russia and ukraine right now we Mm -hmm. have russian kids at the school we have ukrainian kids at the school talking about this conflict can be sensitive for kids but it's part of my job Mm -hmm. um and it's becoming more comfortable with that level of discomfort knowing that that's a part of all of these conversations and helping kids cope with those emotions and have as opposed to teaching them just sort of to like that these conversations will always be conducted with yelling at each other not really listening to the other person's point of view and whoever wins you know or yells the loudest or gets that last like jab in is the one who's superior it's more like let's try let's try to find if we have common ground let's see what's going on here why do you think that um that's a 
really important part of these conversations. And yeah. that's, uh, anyway, yeah, it's our, our role as teachers is to remain calm, assess the situation and help the kids process all of that. And I think taking that away from us and taking away the, I, and, and I don't even fully understand what the social emotional learning thing, that is a huge part of what teachers do and are trained to do um, at the moment anyway. Yeah. And I, I don't fully understand how you can remove that from the, the teaching and learning process. Um, it's like inextricably intertwined. So yeah. that feels like another subjective thing that, again, is going to make teachers feel very uncomfortable and unsafe in the classroom. Well, what, one example that they have is that in, in um, and I think this is part of why some math textbooks were, were banned in, um, in Florida, um, which made the news recently. And a lot of it was because of social emotional learning things. They had people tell, uh, like, um, they, in the math textbooks, it'll be like, um, they'll have a, um, you know, some equations and then it will have, they'll have a little thing that will be like, um, on a scale of one to five, how uncomfortable were you doing this, um, these equations, right? And they're like, oh, come on. We, we don't need to get all touchy feely about math. Either you can do it or you don't. There's, there's a right answer, a wrong answer, right? They had a thing where you like would write your math bio, like your, your, your own biography dealing with math and like how that, um, has um a, a, that evolution has gone in your own life and that's kind of stuff they make fun of it but that kind of stuff would be great for me i had tremendous math anxiety um you know and yeah. and being able to address that it's huge we need to be able to i check in with my students regularly especially after difficult conversations mm-hmm. i'll send out a little they've got like google surveys i make them so that the students have a chance to leave their name or not leave their name. And I asked them, so we had a whole class, we were talking about people with disabilities in the Byzantine empire and how they were treated. Um, and afterwards I sort of checked in with them and some of them had additional questions. Some of them said they felt uncomfortable with some topics. So I sort of, I was able to talk directly one-on-one to those students about like what they felt uncomfortable with and kind of explain things to them a bit better. Um, so, I mean, and some kids don't respond and that's fine. You don't, I wasn't forcing all the kids to respond, but some kids wanted to say something. Some kids said, thank you. Some kids were really fascinated and wanted to know more about a certain yeah. thing. And it's, it's a, I, I mean, I think that that's actually a really great teaching tool and it allows us to personalize and differentiate mm-hmm. um, our education to a different degree. And it's, yeah, I think it's a crucial part of effective learning and creating that sort of safe, open classroom space. I think a lot of it is that these people don't trust teachers. They haven't trusted teachers the whole time. They don't trust public education. So this is just another way for them to to register yeah. that distrust. And I also think they don't really understand the job fully. Yeah. I know that there was, I, I forgot, I'm not blanking on what state it was, but where they're making the teachers submit all of their lesson plans for the entire year. Yeah. Which to me is just like, no it's a mind-blowing thing to do yeah. that before you've met your kids. And all, I mean, the amount of work, first of all, that goes into it, the idea that everyone would read that, that a teacher would somehow have time to create individualized lesson plans for the kids of parents who are upset with a certain aspect of the curriculum mm-hmm. that we would be able to plan in depth everything we're going to do without having met our students and knowing about their unique learning abilities and personalities, interests, everything, all of it comes into play when you're teaching in the classroom. We teach content, but we also take that into account to engage them more and to make it a, 
I don't know that we to make it the best possible experience for them to help them learn to the best of their abilities. Well, you've you've helped me learn to the best of my abilities, Colette. <laughs> I gotta I gotta get ready for Crime Talk BK. Thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you for having me. It was good seeing you. Yeah, good seeing you. All right. Bye. Bye. If you're listening to this on your computer, you can download the app for your for your phone. Um, it works great. You can uh, donate if you like uh, the programming here. Go to the uh, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and, and uh, click the green donate button. Up next is Crime Talk BK. Um, oh, go to the uh, go to the show on, uh, next Friday um, at Bar Frida. Um, Friday, May twentieth. Ten bucks. Tons of good bands. It starts at seven thirty. Um, let's wrap it up with little Isaac Hayes, Ike's Mood. Um, next week, Dr. Lisa, and uh, um, have a good week, people. Thank you. Thank you.